Hey friends, well, welcome to leadbychoice.co where we work together to build and grow authentic leadership. Today I'm super excited to explore a topic that I have had a long personal struggle with. Even this morning, I woke up and my first thought was, how will I make it? Everything seems to be stacked against me. I'm honored to have the company of a wonderful guest today. He had the courage and fortitude to tackle this topic head on. And this is none other than Bruce Van Horn. Bruce just released his Amazon international bestseller, Worry No More, Four Steps to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Welcome, Bruce. And perhaps we should start off by hearing a little more about yourself. Gwenya, it's, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be with you. And I appreciate you sharing uh, my book and my story with your audience. I, I genuinely appreciate you and, and what you do to... You know, to, to bring enlightenment in, in lots of different forms to the world. So, so thank you. Um, so I always want to start with gratitude. Um, yeah, so um, um, just in my own personal story, I, I've, I've had a lot of struggles throughout my life. And um, when I was in my mid-40s, I was so unhappy with my life, with who I was, with what I had not in my life that I very seriously considered ending my life. And so I knew that I had to make a change. I either had to do something different because what I had been doing up to that point in my life hadn't been working or I just couldn't face the idea of living another 40 or 50 years in the same kind of misery. And so I, I launched on this personal development journey, um, very skeptical quite frankly, of whether or not it was was working, but I knew that what I had been doing up to that point in my life had not worked. So I was really willing to try anything at that point. And so I did make some significant changes and made a lot of progress and turned my life around and grew my life coaching practice, started writing and blogging and podcasting. And about the time that I thought that I was really back at the top of my game and loving my life, um, a little over a year ago, I was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer. Wow. And so was kicked all the way back down to the ground again. But this time it didn't break me. Um, I had the tools in place, the mental resources, the a different perspective about my life than I had had just you know, less than 10 years previous. Mm -hmm. And so this book that I've written is, is very much, I was actually in the process of writing two different books when I was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. And I may or may not ever get back to those books. Um, if I do get back to them, they will be very, very different books now because I am a very, very different person now having survived um, major cancer surgery in which there were significant complications. Um, and recovery was was not a pretty thing for me. But um, this book really was born out of that process of, of my recovery process and learning how to manage. I, I knew that I would not be able to recover um, if I allowed my mind to go into the realm of, of worrying to the point where I, I where that consumed me. Wow, that, that's that's quite something, Bruce. You know, um, I underwent some surgery two years ago, a shoulder surgery. Uh, well, it was three hours, and 
the recovery process was also gruesome because you have to do the you know the occupational therapy and all and that's it's not hard. pleasant but i can just imagine that uh, it must have been a very tough time for you you know i i think that uh there are, you know, more than uh, you You struggle with worry and I struggle with worry and there may be two or three other people in the world who struggle with worry. So it's a very small targeted audience, right? <laughs> of course, I'm joking. Um, everybody in the world, you know, that I know of struggles with worry. And, you know, even, even the, the author of a book called Worry No More um, you know, I, I don't, and I, I say that in the book that I, I don't think that we can ever, you know, as long as we live in this human flesh, um, I don't think that we can ever completely eliminate worry, um, but we can recognize it and we can manage it and deal with it in a way that it doesn't paralyze us and limit us because, you know, so many of us get consumed with worry to the point where we don't live our lives. You know, we, we live in fear and worry, and that's just no way to live. And and I know because I lived a huge portion of my life um, consumed with, you know, how do I pay the bills? Am I am I good enough? Will, you know, all of the things that we worry about, and rather than just actually living. You know, it, you literally grabbed me by the eyeballs and drew me into your story. You know, when you just uh, talked about or when you introduced uh, the book and you said, Hi, my name is Bruce Van Horn and I'm a warrior. And it just uh, reminded me of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, not, not that I've been part of that program. But, you know, what just drove you to make that kind of declaration? Well, I, what I like to do with people in building relationships with them is to establish a level of credibility. And you know, my, I, I believe that the, the book is successful, that the things that I do are, are uh, people are able to relate with me because I'm willing to be vulnerable and I'm, being, I'm willing to be real with people. The last thing that I want to hear is advice from somebody who's not actually been in my shoes you know, I don't want anybody telling me how to struggle with worry or how to not struggle with worry if I don't know that that person has had to face those demons. You know, I, I don't want financial advice from somebody who was born wealthy and never had to earn their own you know, way out. I don't, I don't want business advice from somebody who has never started their own business and run and managed. And so I wanted to come out at the very beginning of the book and be brutally honest and talk about my struggle with worry. And the, the book is, uh, unfolds, you know, I, I share some very, very personal things about my own life in the book over which I've worried, you know, so whether it's dealing with cancer or I, I've filed bankruptcy two times, I've experienced the, the painful death of a daughter, um, I've, I've gone through a, a, a traumatic divorce. Um, so I've, I've had lots of things to worry about in my life. And so I just wanted to declare that right up front. And I, I intentionally use the, the very typical line of most, you know, alcoholic anonymous or 12 step support groups where you introduce yourself and you admit to, to the public what your problem is. Mm -hmm. And then after all that, you throw us into 
whole new realm of mathematics. And I just found it rather interesting to find an equation in, in a book about worry. And uh, that was E plus R is equal to O. And is worry that complicated? Um, worry is not very complicated, but I, I chose the, the formula. Well, the things that we worry about do get very complicated because when we start worrying about one thing, that leads us to worrying about another thing. And, and then we actually get worried about whether or not we're worrying too much, right? <laughs> so it's this snowball effect. Um, the E plus R equals O formula is a formula that I learned um, when I was making my original personal transformation and turning my life around. And it's, it's that formula that... Um, that really did change and in many ways saved my life because I, when I was in my 40s and I was looking at all of the things that had happened to me, you know, two bankrupts, the death of a daughter, a very difficult marriage, um, you know, just lots and lots of difficult situations. I was like a lot of people, I had a total victim mindset. I blamed everybody. Well, my life would be so much better if, you know, if the economy was better, if I, if I got a job that paid me more money, if my, you know, if everyone that I struggle in a relationship, if they would change, you know, then I would be happy. And what I learned was that I did not have, well, well I thought I did and I blamed all of my, my problems on the fact that I had marriage problems, that I had financial problems, that I had health problems, that I had dissatisfaction with my jobs problem. Mm -hmm. The one problem that I had, those were all just symptoms of the one problem. And the one problem was that Bruce had a thinking problem. Mm -hmm. That was the only problem. The others were just symptoms. And so what happens is the, the, the formula E plus R equals O. Most people, and I certainly did, live in an E equals O scenario. And the E stands for event. And the O stands for outcome. Okay. Well, I don't have as much money as I want because this event happened. I'm not happy in my relationship because another person behaves a certain way. And so we tend to think that, well, an event happens in our lives. Um, our, we, we go out and get in our car and you know, to go to work and we turn the ignition and it won't start. Well, now we're angry. Well, what made us angry? The car didn't start, yes, right? Exactly. So we're mad at the car, okay? But that's not the way the world really works. Because there are plenty of people in the world who have gone through the very same events and they don't feel the same way. They're, okay, this happens. So what the, the E is the event. We can't change the event. In most cases, we can't change the event. You know, there may have been something we could have done to prevent the car from not, not starting by taking proper care of it. But the fact that it happened, it happened. And the fact that we're upset about it, which is the O, the outcome, the event did not create the outcome. The response, how did I, how did Bruce Van Horn respond to that event? Because it was the response 
to the event that created the outcome. So E plus R equals O is event plus response equals the outcome. And if I can't change the event, but I want a different outcome, in other words, how do I feel about it? What is my, you know, what quality of life do I go on to live? It's 100% dependent on the response. And so I, I know people who are quadriplegics. You know, they can't get up and walk around. They're bound to a wheelchair for the rest of their life. I have a very good friend in, in England, Stephen Webb. He dove into a swimming pool when he was 19 years old and went too deep and hit his head on the bottom of the pool, snapped his spine. One of the happiest guys I have ever met in my life. You know, and so the event caused him to not be able to use his arms or legs. Mm -hmm. Yet his response to the event allows him to live a very high quality, happy life. So I talk about that and, and I just throw that out there that the things that we are worried about, we are worried about a certain event happening. Mm -hmm. And you know, so worry is actually our response to an event that has not yet happened yet. Mm -hmm. So, so that's sort of the crazy thing is, is that we're you know we are predetermining how we are going to respond, or we think an event is going to happen, and we're worried about how another person will respond to that event and how that will affect us. Mm -hmm. Bruce Van Horn is 100% responsible for how he responds to absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. That changed my life. It changed your life. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's like uh, when we worry, we choose to see through like a bad movie. And uh, in, in your book, you mentioned something about uh, you walking out of a movie hall or a movie theater and uh, going into another to watch another movie, what what was that all about? Considering that you've already paid for the movie in the first place, <laughs> right? Exactly, and I and I have really done this. I have gone to see a movie that people maybe recommended that I go see, and you know, at least where I live, we have these multiplex cinemas where there are you know. 10, we, we have one in our neighborhood that has 20 cinemas mm -hmm. in it. So at any given point in time, there are 20 different movies playing. And so I bought a ticket to one movie and went in, the movie started, and right away, either the, you know, I might have had my kids with me, and one of the opening scenes may have been very inappropriate mm -hmm. for my children. Maybe mm -hmm. it was the language, maybe it was the, the subject matter or sexual situation that I didn't want my children exposed to, mm -hmm. or that I, maybe for whatever reason, I just wasn't connecting with the movie. I wasn't enjoying it. I realized that I don't have to sit here for the next two hours and watch something that I'm not enjoying. Mm -hmm. I don't have to endure that, you know, willingly. I can get up and I can leave that cinema. And I can either just get in my car and go back home, or I can, because I've already paid for a ticket, so the movie theater doesn't lose any money, mm -hmm. if I get out of this cinema and I walk down the hall and see another title and say, oh, well, maybe that will be interesting. And I go in and I watch that movie. And, and I've done that literally many, many times. And you know, so I, I use throughout my book the, the metaphor of worry 
is us creating a movie in our own mind. We are the movie director of our lives. And our lives will very much move in the direction of the things we imagine for our lives. And so if we spend a lot of time visualizing bad things happening to us, then is it any surprise when those things actually do happen? And so what I, what I propose to you is that you are 100% in control of your thoughts. It takes no more energy, and in fact, it probably takes less physical energy to think a happy thought than it does to think a bad thought. So you know, we, we could have been worried about this interview not going well at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so we could have foreseen. Oh well, when I get on this Skype call with Kamunya, um, you know, I, I'm just not going to like his interview style, <laughs> or he's going to ask me questions that make me uncomfortable. And so those are things I could project out into the future. Or without ever having met you, I could assume that you are an awesome human being. And that when we see each other, there's going to be this connection. There's going to be this bond between us. And we are just going to have a fun, dynamic interchange that will leave both of us feeling so much better when it's over. And, you know, so either way, you know, you can think whatever thoughts you want. You can play whatever movie you want in your mind. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's actually very interesting that you mentioned that because we can have all manner of scenarios in our minds, uh, running in our minds. And uh, as you rightly mentioned in your book, we get advice from the least unlikely places, and that's in our children. And uh, I remember reading something about uh, your son finding a message in a fortune cookie, and uh, something like it read, uh, success comes in cans and not in cannots. That was very, very interesting. You know, and, uh, it's an interesting pun, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is an interesting point. And um, it, it also helps us to actually realize that change is a difficult state, yes. But if we choose to go through that change with a positive mindset, then we end up worrying less. Absolutely. Yeah, worrying, worrying uh, yeah. much, much, much less. And you, you, you talked a little earlier about you know, your challenge with your personal battle with um, with cancer, and uh, uh, I just when I was reading that, I just thought about uh, co- a coinage. I just coined something. You know, how did that affect your worry ometer? You know, the, how 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 high or how low did your worry get at, at that point when you had you when you were battling with a cancer? Well, the the day I got my diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, my worry worryometer went pretty high um, because I'm I'm a single dad. Mm-hmm. I, I have full custody of my two boys. So I worry, you know, you know, if, if this cancer is going to kill me, what's going to happen to my boys? Mm -hmm. And so I worry about that. If it's not going to kill me, but it's going to debilitate me, how am I going to be able to provide financially for my boys? Mm -hmm. So, so yes, for a brief period, I had all of those thoughts run through my mind. But you know, one of the things that you do, I, I'm a marathon runner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so go, going back to that quote that says success comes in cans, not in cannots. Um, it's all about self-talk. And, 
the uh, I also used the quote from Henry Ford, who said, uh, "Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right." Mm-hmm. Because the person who thinks they can't possibly do something, they they can't. You know, they, there's that mental block. They they will never put forward the type of mental or physical energy necessary to achieve success if they don't think success is possible. But a person who does think success is possible may fail, but they may succeed and they very likely will succeed. And so what I decided was that success comes in cans. And so I started saying to myself, I can do this. I can overcome this. I can beat this. And I wind up speaking because I'm now a a cancer survivor. I speak to a lot of cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And there are clearly those people who have given up. And even though their doctors think that there's a chance that we can beat this, if the patient doesn't think so, there's not much the doctor can do for that patient. Exactly. And... And what I learned was that as, as a marathon runner, you know, the, the way we talk to ourselves is a muscle that we have to exercise. And so if I, I spent most of my life being a very negative, pessimistic person. I criticized myself. I said things like, Bruce, you'll never be able to do that. Bruce, you're not good enough. Bruce, mm-hmm. you're not handsome enough. You're not smart enough. Mm-hmm. You're not wealthy enough. Um, and it took time to make the transition to start exercising those muscles of, of developing a positive self-esteem. Just mm-hmm. like the muscles of marathon running, I live in a very hilly community. And when I first started running, it was very, very – I had to walk up mm-hmm. most of the big hills in my neighborhood. <laughs> now, 10 years later, I run up and down those hills you know, like they're no big deal. Mm-hmm. The hills have not changed, Kamunya. Mm-hmm. The hills have not changed. I have. Yeah. And so the more we talk to ourselves using positive language, mm-hmm. then many of the events won't change. Mm-hmm. But the way we handle them, the way we respond to them. So the way I responded to cancer was very different than the way I would have responded to it had I gotten the same diagnosis five or ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that response is actually what mediates between you and your worry. It reminds exactly. you, it's, it's being very conscious and very deliberate about reminding yourself that yes, there's worry, but it will not control me. If I'm to take away anything from your book, it's um, an example I read about uh, a rubber band and, you know, putting a rubber band on your wrist and uh, snapping a rubber band on the wrist whenever I worry. And uh, the pain yeah. that comes out of that is just going to remind me to snap out of it. I, it does. I, I, I thought that, that was a very interesting analogy or an example of something practical that I can take away from the book. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't know if, if you watch old movies you know we don't do it anymore but you know the the old television shows and the the old black and white movies you know Mm -hmm. very often it portrayed a a woman but you know somebody who is just something has happened and one character in the movie is hysterical 
means that they have just lost all sense of reality because they're so consumed with whatever it is they're upset about. And, you know, very often, you know, the, you know, someone in the movie will, will take that person by the shirt and say, get a hold of yourself, get a hold of yourself. And like, you know, they can't. And so it takes you taking and slapping the person on the face. And then it's like, oh, it, it wakes them up from a bad dream. Exactly. And very often in the TV show or in the, in the movie, the, the person, instead of being upset that they just got slapped in the face, they say, oh, thank you. I, I guess I kind of lost, lost, sort of lost control there. <laughs> and so, so very often when we are consumed with these thought patterns, we need uh, some kind of shock, a, a sudden pain, a jolt, a smack in the face mm-hmm. to, uh, to snap us out of that thought pattern and to bring us back to this moment. Yeah. And I think that's, that's awesome. That's something that I'm, I'm actually going to take. Uh, Good. Um, I, I think I'll be in a lot of pain in the next couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have a red wrist. Another observation you make, uh, and I'm going to quote this, fear loves isolation and darkness. Fear hates light and community. Tell someone your fears, shine a public light on it, and it will flee. Do you think this has a, uh, any bearing on how we can grow into more authentic leaders? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it's largely what I, I do in the book. I just start off by saying, hi, I'm Bruce Van Horn. I'm a worrier. Mm-hmm. And just the act of, um, and, and religion knows this so well, the act of confession mm-hmm. in and of itself is a very healing process exactly to to admit what you have done to another human being you know or or to god but usually to to another human being Mm -hmm. to confess you know i i did this i wish i hadn't done that is is a very cathartic it's a healing process and fear and worry has a very very spiritual component to it. it it's it's a darkness, mm-hmm. a, a dark spirit, mm-hmm. and what the voice of fear. You know, so we we've got these. Um, you know, we, we've got these like two people. You know, it's very often portrayed as a devil and an angel, and and the angel is telling us what we should do that's right, and and the devil is saying, no, don't don't listen to that other voice. We've mm-hmm. got this. We can handle this ourselves, and. Very often when we're afraid, when we're worried about something, we tell ourselves a story and, and I don't and I, and I believe that it, there is a spiritual component to it where the voice of worry says, Kamunya, we can do this just the two of us. Mm-hmm. You don't 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 tell your wife about mm-hmm. this. Don't mm-hmm. tell your friends. We we can handle this all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need anybody else to know because the and and the story gets very creative. We think that by keeping it all to ourselves that we're protecting other people. And so we turn it into this noble thing because mm-hmm. we don't want our family members, our friends to be worried like we are. Yet <laughs> The moment you stop listening to that voice and you, if I just share with you something that I'm worried about, you may not have the answers. You may not be able to tell me how to stop worrying or how to fix the problem. But the fact that I shone a public light on it and I confessed my worry to you, 
causes so much of the power that worry had over me to just go away that very often I'm now freed up emotionally and with an energy that I can do something about it Mm -hmm. if there was something that I could have done. I may be worried that I am not going to have enough money to pay the bills next month. Mm -hmm. But if the worry keeps me so consumed that I don't do anything about it, then I become that self-fulfilling prophecy and I won't have the money to pay the bills next month. Mm-hmm. But if I tell you, Kamunya, I'm really worried that I, I don't have enough money, then you can say, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? I'll pray for you. or you know. But just the fact that I told you releases me from it so that if it was something that I had potential to control anyway, it, it frees it up. And so, so much of the control or the power that worry and fear has over you is you, you magnify it by keeping it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Really, really and, awesome. And, yeah, and I think that's, that's a core principle behind authentic leadership. It's right. for you to be transparent and bear yourself, even, even when you're at your lowest. It's not just yeah. that you're dealing uh, with leadership you know, when, you're, when you're at the top only. You need to think about what happens when you're in the trenches, when you're in right. the muck and mire and, and all. Um, yeah. you, people need to feel you and understand that you're also a human being, that you can right. connect with them at that level. Yeah, yeah. And, and I can say to you, you know what, I, I might not have all of the answers, mm-hmm. and this may not be the right solution, but as I've evaluated it, I believe this is the right direction for us to go in. So whether we're talking about a business or a family, um, you know, to be able to say to the people that we are responsible for leading, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I may be wrong on this, but here's why I believe I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, or if we have made a mistake to not hide it, not blame, you know, well, I think my decision was right, but you didn't do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the leader is always responsible exactly. and to take ownership of that. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. How do you give yourself to the present. Yeah. It, practicing the, the modern phrase for this that has become very popular is, is practicing mindfulness mm-hmm. and, and being aware of, of what we're doing right now. And so right at this moment, I'm doing very well um, because right at this moment, you and I are having a wonderful conversation. And I am exercising mental discipline to be present with you. I'm looking directly in my, my camera, you know, maybe off to the side a little bit because I'm, you know, I'm making eye contact with you. And mm-hmm. because my camera is slightly off center, yeah. then it, it kind of looks like I'm not. But if I look directly at the camera, I, I'm, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch or what I'm going to do for dinner or my appointments later on this evening. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to do two weeks from now or worried about what I might be doing. I'm not upset about something that happened to me this morning. Maybe I had another interview and it did not go well. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not bringing the, the poison of, of that into our conversation right now. I am experiencing this conversation mm-hmm. as a completely isolated event, immune from all of the other thoughts or circumstances that may be around me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and what I write about in the book was um, was driven by my experience while I was in my hospital bed. Um, my doctor would come in, and you know, very often we'll we'll see somebody on the street, and we'll say, "I'll say, come you ask me the question, um, you know, Bruce, how are you?" And I could say, oh, "I'm not doing very well," and you could say, "Well, why?" and I would start telling you about something that happened an hour ago or two weeks ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was an English major, and so I love grammar. The You asked a question, how are you? Are is the present tense of the verb to be. You didn't say, Bruce, how were you? Mm -hmm. Or how have you been? Mm -hmm. Or based on the past, you, know, you, you didn't say, how are you going to be? You had yeah. said, how are you? which requires that I answer the question, how am I doing right now? Right now. And that's how you give yourself the gift of, of the present. When my doctor would come in uh, while I was in the hospital, he would ask me a series of questions, and they were very specific, and he wanted, in fact, he needed me to answer them in the context in which they were, they were asked. So if he said, Bruce, how are you? He didn't want to know what kind of night I had, mm -hmm. what pain I was in an hour ago. He wanted to know, Bruce, right now, what are you feeling? You know, do you have pain in your abdomen? Are you dizzy? Are you lightheaded? Are you thirsty? How are you right now? Mm -hmm. Or he would say, Bruce, how was your evening? Did you have pain? You know, what, what symptoms did you experience since the last time I was here? And by answering those questions in the context in which he asked them, he was able to better diagnose me. So if I had pains in the evening and I still have them now, that gives him an idea of what to do. If I had pains earlier in the morning, but I'm not experiencing them now, it lets him know that maybe a drug that he gave me is working or not working. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so learning to be present. So much of our, first of all, worry is thinking about the future. Mm -hmm. So we spend so much of our lives thinking about what's not happening mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of thinking about what is happening. So if I'm worried about something, I'm thinking about something that has not yet happened, which means I'm not living in the present. And you can't actually worry about something that has already happened. Mm -hmm. The event may have happened, and you may be worried about future repercussions of that event or future mm -hmm. consequences of that event, but you're still thinking about the future. Yeah. And, and so you rob yourself of the only thing that exists. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that exists is this moment right now. Exactly. The only place, the only time in your life when you have any power to do anything to change your future is right now. Mm -hmm. And so if you are not focused on right now, now granted, I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have dreams and hopes and aspirations and plans for the future, mm -hmm. but if, we, if they're only dreams and plans and we don't do anything about them today, mm -hmm. we can't make them come true. So the only way we can change the future 
is by the way we live right now. Exactly. And, and, and so that, that's what I really mean by giving yourself the present. Yeah. And by, by living now is a gift mm-hmm. that you give yourself in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that, is, that is tremendous. Um, you urge us uh, to rest in our peace. Um, hmm. I found that quite interesting. Uh, what are these all about? Well, when I say rest in peas, it's obviously a pun, exactly. um, you know, and it, and it sounds sort of like the, the word peace, yes. um, but, it, but I, I, it's rest in peas. And so this is the, the final chapter of the four steps of how to stop worrying is to rest in peas. And so I, I walked through five peas. There, there are lots of others I could have thrown in there, but there are five peas that ultimately end in bringing peace to your life. Mm-hmm. And the first P is perspective. You know, when I'm looking at you and you're looking at me, mm-hmm. you see the front of me and you see this wall hanging behind me. Mm-hmm. I see what's in the room behind you. Mm-hmm. That's a very limited perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, perspective is the way we see things. Uh, sorry, folks, we got disconnected, and uh, Bruce was just talking about our resting in peace, and he was looking at the first P, which was perspective. Uh, take yeah, it away, and, Bruce. and the fact that we, we lost our internet connection and had to restart this interview is a great illustration of these resting in peace. And so I, I was talking about perspective and just realizing that what we think we're seeing and what we think we're experiencing isn't the whole picture. And you know, so what I, I do in the form of talking about perspective is I, I use the story of a, a baby goose. Being, I, I live in a community, there's a, a beautiful lake near me. Mm-hmm. And you know, so if you're walking along the, the edge of a lake and you see this round white object on, on the bank of the lake and you don't have a concept of what egg means, mm-hmm. you might think it's just a white rock yeah. and, and you might not think anything of it. And when you come back the next time, that white rock may have a crack in it. Mm-hmm. And so you may think from your perspective, well, now the rock is damaged. Mm-hmm. It's broken in some way. Mm-hmm. And then when you come back again, you may see this ugly. You know, if you've ever watched any animal that you know, you know, even the live birth process of a human baby is not a pretty thing, it's, right? It's a messy affair. So, yeah, and so, but even watching you know chickens or you know birds of any kind break out of their shell, mm-hmm. a baby bird. If you don't know what that is, it's a horrific looking creature. I mean, it's all wet and slimy and just, it's scary. It's, it's small, but it's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. And the way it's breaking out of the shell um, looks very, very painful because the shell of an egg is jagged and it's sharp. And it's, you know, as it sticks its head up and then pulls its head back down, the, you know, it jabs back into the goose. And so... Yet, at that moment, your perspective may be that, oh, well, there's this horrible creature coming out of what I used to think was a rock, and now it looks to be an extreme pain, and then you see it again, 
And it's this fuzzy little soft, cute thing. And then you start to see it swimming around in a lake. And so, you know, at any moment of our life, we are just seeing a snapshot. And if we make a judgment about the whole movie, or you know, if we had judged that this horrible creature coming out of what we thought was a rock, um, if we made some kind of judgment about it, then we wouldn't later realize that it's this cute, fuzzy thing and that the, the painful process of hatching, mm-hmm. and I, I don't doubt that it is a painful process. I don't doubt that when, you know, when, when our wives gave birth to our children, it was not only painful to our wives, but it was painful to our children to be squeezed through that birth canal. Mm-hmm. Um, yet... The perspective is that that's a necessary pain. It's mm-hmm. part of the natural birthing process. The hatching of an egg is, you know, and so what I encourage you to do is that whatever you're worried about, whatever painful thing that you may be going through or you might be going through in the near future that you're worried about, it may not be an ugly painful thing. It may be at the time, but it might also be the birth of a new you. Mm -hmm. It may be the natural process that you need to go through to become this beautiful creation who will ultimately learn how to swim around a lake, Mm -hmm. who will ultimately learn to fly above the trees that we are only looking down or from the ground level, a tree looks one way. Mm. But from the air, the neighborhood, the community that we live in looks very different mm-hmm. from a thousand feet in the air than mm-hmm. it does on ground level. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you to to ask for a shift in perspective for what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the first P. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that I, I talk about is a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's easier to look back over our lives. You know, when, when you're in the middle of a crisis, it's hard to understand what, that, how, what it, whatever it is we're going through right now mm-hmm. fits into a plan. Mm-hmm. But yet we can look back over our lives and see that, well, because this happened and that happened and this happened, we're able to connect the dots and see the path that our life has followed mm-hmm. to bring us to this point. And so we can say things like, oh, well, that thing that happened to me five years ago, well, I see now that it was part of the plan for my life because it taught me something. Mm-hmm. I met somebody. I was given this opportunity because of whatever it is that happened. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea is that whatever it is that you're worried about, to trust that your life does follow a plan. Mm-hmm. And so we start to get into faith at this point mm-hmm. and to trust that there is a plan for your life. And so it would be great for us to say that the breaking of our internet connection mm-hmm. just now was not accidental, mm-hmm. that it happened for a reason. You know, Maybe we needed to stop for a second to regroup mm-hmm. and you know, maybe it gave me just a, enough time to think of a different way mm-hmm. to give an illustration to a point. 
Now, I don't know that that's why, but I'll, I'll trust that there was a plan for that. Mm-hmm. And you had a plan for if the internet disconnects, you had a plan for how do we reestablish connection and mm-hmm. just continue with it mm-hmm. without it getting to be this great big thing that mm-hmm. there's all this drama. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about a plan, and, and this falls into what you talk about so well with leadership, is um, management is about making sure that a plan is followed, mm-hmm. right? So uh, a business has certain protocols. We have a business plan. Mm-hmm. When a customer has this sort of problem, this is the way we handle that problem. Mm-hmm. So management is all about making sure that people act according to a plan. Mm-hmm. Leadership is about the next P. It's about purpose. Mm-hmm. A plan is all well and good. Now, I, I can come home and announce to my boys, I can say, boys, we are going to do this, 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 and this. And my boys will look at me and say, okay, why? Mm-hmm. My boys want to know why exactly. we are going to do it. Yeah. And, and that's the role of leadership is to say, okay, there is this plan in place, but it's not just a randomly assembled plan. There is a higher purpose for it. Mm-hmm. And so to understand that your life follows a plan is somewhat comforting, mm-hmm. but only if you believe that the plan is connected to a deeper purpose, a meaning, a mm-hmm. why. Exactly. And uh, again, this is where faith comes in that, you know, I will very, very often we have to ask our children to do things. And I I think of things like taking them to a doctor Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, they they need to get a, a vaccination or they need to receive a treatment of some sort. Um, and they know that the that it's going to be a painful process. Mm-hmm. So I say we are going to go to the doctor. The doctor is going to give you a shot, and the shot is either going to cure something that's wrong with you, or mm-hmm. it's going to prevent you from getting something. Mm-hmm. Well, all they know is it's going to hurt. It's mm-hmm. going to be painful. As their parent, I understand the why. I understand the purpose. Mm-hmm. That you know this is to help them in some way. Now, my doctor, when he outlined for me the type of surgery that I was going to have, he told me the plan. He said, I'm going to cut you from here to here. I'm going to separate the tissue, these muscles. I'm going to cut in certain places. And so we had a plan for surgery. What made it much easier for me to go through and and to follow the doctor's orders for Mm -hmm. me to obey Mm -hmm. the plan was I trusted that there was a purpose. And so he explained to me why each step was important. But more importantly, he explained to me that the overall, the big picture purpose for my surgery was Bruce to save your life. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't do this, you will die. Mm -hmm. And so that's a pretty big why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a pretty big purpose. Yeah, And so... 
the perspective, the plan, the purpose, we have to believe, I believe, that we are part of something that is much bigger than us. I believe in God. Mm -hmm. I believe that there is a creator. Um, You and me and your readers and your listeners may call God something different. Mm -hmm. You know, I may call it God. Others may call it Allah. Others may call it infinite intelligence or universal power or, or whatever. But if there is this belief that there is something bigger than us that created this world in which we live and created you specifically and you uniquely from me and you know the, the person next to you, that mm. each person was created and that for each and every human being, rock, tree, bird, or whatever, if it was created by God according to God's plan and according to God's purpose, exactly. if we believe that God is perfect, God never says, oops. And so when a child is born with a birth defect, we don't understand it from a human perspective. It makes us sad from a human perspective. Mm -hmm. But a different perspective is to understand that God created that child with that condition for his purpose, which we may not understand. My kids might not understand the purpose for getting the vaccine, Mm -hmm. but my kids know that I love them Mm -hmm. and that I would not ask them to do something that was painful, that was meaningless. Mm -hmm. And so this is where faith really connects. And so we can say to ourselves that, well, if God is perfect and God has a plan for my life according to the purpose that God has for my life, I might not know what that purpose is, then I can say my life And whatever has happened in the past or is going to happen in the future, my life is perfect. Mm -hmm. I don't understand, Kamunya, why my daughter died. Mm -hmm. But I'm able to move in a positive direction by trusting that I don't need to know why Mm -hmm. specifically. But I do need to trust that there was a plan and that there was a purpose created by a perfect God. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, it has to make sense in some context that from my human perspective, I may not see it. But I'm looking from down at the bottom of the tree, mm-hmm. looking up at the tree. And the creator of the universe is looking down over, not over this entire planet, but every single planet, star, asteroid in the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And all of it is connected perfectly. Mm-hmm. And when you can wrap your brain around that, that's when you get the last P, which is peace. Mm-hmm. And so peace can come into your life and you can stop worrying when you can trust that whatever is going to happen is part of the plan for your life. Now, I do believe that we should do everything within our power mm. to, if it's it, if I'm worried about paying the rent next month, then I'm 100% responsible for doing everything that I can to make mm. the money to pay rent next month. Mm-hmm. Okay, But 
ultimately, everything happens according to a plan for my life, which is ultimately perfect. Mm -hmm. And so I need to rest in that mm. and find peace in that, um, which is ultimately how you stop worrying. Yeah. And you find your peace. And uh, exactly. I, I think those, those are really powerful peas that you have shared with us. And um, how can our listeners connect with you, Bruce? And where can they find your book? Um, BruceVanHorn.com is the easiest place. From there, you can find links to my social media. I'm very active on Twitter. Um, I have, you know, goodness, it's almost 360,000 Twitter followers, which is just amazing. Um, you can read my writings on my blog at BruceVanHorn.com. Um, the book Worry No More is available on Amazon in all of the markets. Um, it's, uh, you know, so WorryNoMoreBook.com will take you to a landing page on my website you know, to learn more about the book itself. But BruceVanHorn.com is the easiest place to connect with me because they're, they're, that's the launch pad for, for all of the other ways. So if you want to follow me on Facebook, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, but you can get to all of it from BruceVanHorn.com. Perfect. Thank you very much, Bruce. And I think we, we actually connected on, uh, on Twitter, actually. Uh, we did. I think a couple of years ago. And uh, here we are having a chat. You know, and it's it's a wonderful thing. And then we found each other in, in Dan Miller's community as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I genuinely appreciate you and what you're doing in the world to encourage people to live consciously, intentionally, to take leadership seriously mm -hmm. and to, to change their lives or the lives of other people by by leading by example. Exactly. Uh, Thank you very much, Bruce, for your time and uh, for your deep insights that you've shared with us. And uh, of course, there's a special thanks to you, our dear listeners, for joining us today. And if you found this chat useful, I'd appreciate if you could share this with your friends, with your family, with your community. And uh, a comment would be great too, you know, we should connect in, in that way. And uh, I know that change can be difficult. And that's why I wrote the Game Changers Manifesto. And you can get your free copy by simply signing up uh, to my blog updates. And you can find this at leadbychoice.co. This is a free resource for you. And uh, I want to leave you uh, with a quote that uh, I read from uh, uh, Bruce's book. And this is from Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Take care and worry no more. Adios. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>